Let me say that some weeks back it began a series of sermons on the message of Christ crucified. And in that first sermon, we saw the message of Christ crucified in prophecy. And then we saw it, the message of Christ crucified is taught by our Lord. And tonight I want us to look at the message of Christ crucified glorying in the cross. And let's look then at these words of Paul, beginning with verse 11 of Galatians chapter 6. Hear the word of the true and living God. Paul writes and he says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor un uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one calls me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower thereof falls away, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let's seek the face of God in prayer, asking his blessing upon the ministry of this, his holy and infallible word. Let us pray. O oh Lord, we would bow in your presence at this time, conscious, O oh Lord, that in ourselves we are unable to mark your word aright. And so we plead, that you would be pleased to send forth your Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, that he would descend upon people and preacher alike. Enable us to understand, to grasp what your word is saying to us. And then, wonder of wonders, grant us the grace to obey that which we've heard. And use it, we ask to conform us to the image of your Son, in whose blessed name we do pray. Amen. Now, as we continue this series of sermons on the message of Christ crucified, I want to turn to the third topic of glorying in the cross, and particularly the words of the Apostle Paul here at the end of the sixth chapter of Galatians, where in verse 14 he says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
the Apostle Paul is drawing his letter to the Galatians here to a conclusion. And throughout this epistle, he has been seeking to clarify and defend the true gospel which he himself received personally from the Lord Jesus Christ. And over and against the distortion or the perversion of the false gospel which has been introduced there in Galatia by the Judaizers and which had confused and had distressed the Galatian Christians, Paul is writing to them now in this epistle at sometimes with very strong language to clarify the nature of the Christian gospel, to guard it from error, and to correct them in the midst of their confusion, and to bring them back to the solid foundation of the true apostolic gospel. Now, that confusion about the nature of the gospel had emerged from some who had added to the gospel. What they had added specifically was an addition to the phrase, we are saved by grace. And what they added to that phrase, we are saved by grace, was the word and, and circumcision, and adherence to the law, and good works. And wherever Paul found people, adding the word and to the grace of God as the basis of salvation, it was at such a time that he would seek to expose one of the deepest heresies that destroyed the lives of God's people. And so he responds to them in language that some would regard as excessive and quite over the top. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, he says in the first chapter, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As I, we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be anathema, let him be accursed. And Paul is explaining then in his epistle to the Galatians that salvation by grace is always salvation by grace alone. And salvation by grace alone is always salvation by Christ alone. For God's grace is revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And salvation by Christ alone is always salvation through the cross of Christ alone. So the great issue of this epistle to the Galatians is really the centrality as well as the sufficiency of the cross of Christ as God's provision for the salvation of sinners. Now, most people would think that the real problem in Galatia was doctrinal and intellectual. You know, they had been confused by false teaching. And so what the apostle sets down to do is to give them the truth. And he sets before them the case for truth as it is in Jesus. Now, to be sure, it is in part doctrinal and intellectual. 
They needed clarification about a number of issues. But looking closer at this letter, I'm convinced, makes it obvious that the deeper problem present in Galatia and in the lives of these people who were so confused about the gospel wasn't only intellectual or doctrinal or even theological. It was spiritual and personal and lay not so much as a problem in their minds as it was of their hearts. And it's really focused as so much deviation from the truth often tends to focus on the central issue of what was the object of their glory or their boast. It had to do more so as to where they found their greatest joy and their greatest delight. That was where their true problem came to light and was made manifest among the Galatians. And so often it's true in our own confusion about doctrinal truth or precisely perhaps our distaste for certain doctrines does not stem, does not arise from difficulties at an intellectual level. But so very often it comes from an unwillingness to give God alone the glory, to glory only in the cross of the Lord Jesus. Now that is because the truths of the gospel touch us, do they not, in some very sensitive areas, such as our pride, our self-love, our creature confidence, our natural desire to be our own master, to boast in man, to glory in man, and in a man-centered way of life. And if there is one thing about the authentic gospel that Paul is here preaching to the Galatians, if there's one thing it does, it is to crush and to shatter human pride and creature confidence into oblivion. Now, it is a great evidence of grace, indeed, one of the great hallmarks of being a new creature in the Lord Jesus Christ that we shall more and more be able to say with Paul, far be it from me that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For our one great passion in life should be you and I to glory in him, to glory in the Lord Jesus and to glory in what he has done. So let's look together first of all tonight at this phrase. What is the meaning of this phrase that Paul uses throughout the whole of his life? Indeed, that characterizes the whole pattern of his life that he glories in the cross. If he has a concern about anything, if the apostle is devoted to anything, it is that he may never glory in anything else. And so he says, May Ganetto, may it never be that I should boast or glory except in the cross of Christ. And we, you and I, in turn, need to ask, what does Paul mean when he says that he glories in the cross? Well, surely he glories in the truth of the cross as the heart and the center of the gospel. One cannot 
read through the epistles of Paul without seeing that he is primarily glorying in these great and magnificent truths of the gospel. And the truths of God's gospel in the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I emphasize this is one of the greatest evidences of the new creation is that you will glory in the cross. Nothing is more encouraging to a true minister of Christ than to hear one person after another testify that they have come to a great appreciation of this reality of God's redeeming grace that is displayed in the cross of Christ throughout their own study of the scriptures. That everything else in the world pales in comparison and here's real gold. This is where true riches are to be found. And surely Paul's words here presuppose, do they not, something of his own amazement and wonder in the face of the cross. For in his own life and experience, Paul had known the mighty miracle of God's grace and its fountainhead in the cross. In his magnificent work uh, titled The Attraction of the Cross, the 19th century uh, Presbyterian minister, Gardner Spring, he wrote that every truth in the Bible brings us at last to the cross. And he says the cross carries us back to every truth in the Bible. So that the sum and substance of all truth is most impressively proved, illustrated, and enforced by Christ and Him crucified. I could not agree more. For the true Christian, far from being ashamed of the cross, it has become the source and fountain of all our hope, of all of our trust, Throughout all eternity. And the truth of the cross is that in which the apostle glories. But there is something more than that. What the cross has done for Paul. And I want you to notice this particularly. Is that it has brought him to the close of one chapter of his life. And it has launched him into another. And when he speaks of glorying in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is evident here that he has in mind the same thing of which he spoke earlier in this epistle. Chapter 2 and verse 20, where he speaks of that new life and he says, I have been crucified with Christ. So the cross has become not only the instrument of his salvation, but it has become the instrument whereby he has come to the end of one chapter of his life and is the beginning of another. For he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Therefore, the cross stands and marks for Paul as the great demarcation point when he ceased to live for self 
And he began to live for God. For Paul, the cross stood between him. And it stood between him and the world. Between life without Christ and life in Christ. It was that great demarcation point for Paul. I live, but not I. It is Christ who lives in me. So he glories in the cross of Christ in what it has done in this sense. It has brought him to the end of one way of life. And it introduces him altogether into another. Now men in our day, they glory and boast in all kinds of different things. They glory in education and learning. They glory in riches and wealth. They glory in status and position. They glory in pleasure and in self-indulgence. They glory in power and authority. But all of this is glorying in the flesh. And Paul says what he glories in now is in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then secondly, what are the reasons specifically for Paul glorying in the cross? If this means that the whole of his horizon is now filled with Christ instead of self, with the cross as that instrument by which God has brought him to the end of one kind of life and to the beginning of another, he glories in this, the cross. So what specifically then causes him to glory in the cross? And I think there are a number of reasons. First of all, Paul glories in the cross because the cross is the revelation of God's character. And if I might just pause for just a moment at this point, um, and I can give a shameless plug because I'm not the one teaching the class. But the one thing all of us need to know more of is the person and work of Jesus Christ. We have a Sunday school class in this church being taught by our pastor in this quarter. And if you're not in another class, I encourage you to participate in this class. Nothing. Nothing is more central to the Christian faith than the person and work of Jesus Christ. Take advantage of what is being uh, supplied to you by the ministry of our pastor in this sense. So then all worldly glorying, you see, is in the display of man and what he thinks he can do. But glorying in the cross is glorying only in the revelation of God in this sense that the cross reveals what God is doing. It is declaring to us the character of God. There is no place else in anywhere in the universe where we see the character of God displayed in all of its infinite beauty and grandeur and wonder as it is in the cross of the Lord Jesus. And it is here you see that his wisdom is supremely proclaimed and it is placarded literally before our eyes. The wisdom of a God who is able to come and devise a plan of salvation whereby his justice will be preserved and his holiness will be sustained. You remember in the Old Testament that 
Lady of Tekoa when David refused to return his son to the kingdom. She speaks a word of rebuke to the king. She says, yet God in his wisdom has sought out a means whereby he might return his banished ones unto himself. God has in Christ found the means whereby he may call back to himself those who have been banished from him in their sins. We see the revelation of the wisdom of God in all of that. And it is also the greatest display of God's holiness, his righteousness, and his love, and his mercy, as well as his goodness. In his commentary upon John chapter 12 and verse 31, Calvin wrote, For in the cross of Christ, we see, as in a magnificent theater, the inestimable goodness of God displayed before the whole world. And here it is, we view God supremely in the world. This is the Apostle Paul's primary great reason for glorying in the cross. For the glory in the cross is the glory in God. Now you see, this is the great end of Paul's life, as well as the great end of salvation to bring us to glory in, the God, in God. But Paul glories in the cross for another reason, not only because it is the revelation of God's character, but it is also the operation of God's power in the salvation of sinners. And that's the second great reason for glorying in the cross. Indeed, it is here that the power of God in the new creation operates. And I want you to notice how that is expressed in these verses. These Judaizers were glorying in circumcision, you see. The problem with that was a concentration, and Paul recognized this, a concentration on the outward rather than on the inward condition of the heart of man. It was a focus on the human rather than on the divine. And here were these Judaizers turning the attention of the Galatian Christians in the early stages of their Christian life, diverting them away from the inward upon which God focuses and to the outward, the external, so that they might become focused upon an outward ritual. And now it really doesn't matter what that outward ritual may be, but the focus on the outward was what was truly problematic. And Paul condemns it because Paul's concern is for the inward, the heart. Circumcision, he says, needs to be a circumcision of the heart, not of the flesh. Moreover, circumcision in the flesh was human rather than divine. It was something that man did rather than what God did. And here the apostle recognizes that the glory in circumcision in the outward performance in human action rather than in God was to glory in the flesh. Now, it's possible for us, you see, to glory in all sorts of different ways in the flesh. By concentrating on the outward, 
uh, rather than things on the inward, upon human activity and performance rather than divine. And what Paul finds serious is that this seeking or the pursuit of glory in the flesh, whereas what matters to God is not the performance of man, not any conformity to outward formalities such as circumcision, but what Paul calls at the end of verse 15, a new creation. Now we need to apply this to ourselves. So how do we apply it to ourselves? Well, in the cause of God and in the work of God and in the lives of men and women to whom we're joined in fellowship as the people of God, what is the thing that should matter most to all of us as Christians? What is it that interests you? Think about that. What claims your attention? What do you glory in? Is it in the marks of the new creation? Is it in the evidences of the power of God in the cross of Jesus to work and to transform people's lives? Men and women, boys and girls, making them monuments of God's grace. Is it the death of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross? Has it produced in you this pattern of life where we no longer live unto ourselves, but unto him who loved us and gave himself for us? Or is it some outward thing in which you glory? The fact you see, if we are glorying in the wrong thing, we shall know nothing of the power of God, either personally or even congregationally. Paul glories in the cross of Christ for the same reason that he says to the Romans in chapter 1 and verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And wherein does the power of God rest, reside? The power of God resides in what he has done, has accomplished in the cross of the Lord Jesus. So glorying in the cross is for the Apostle Paul a critical matter. And he proceeds to declare, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And hence the second reason why Paul glories in the cross is that it is here that the power of God in the new creation operates and is displayed in the lives of men and women. But then there is at least one other reason why Paul's boast was in the cross of our Lord Jesus. Now remember, Paul is contrasting the object of his boast with that of the Judaizers. And the tragedy of the Judaizers was that they ended up glorying and boasting in the gift, you might say, rather than in the giver. And Paul says in dramatic contrast to these men, I could boast as well, you know. I really could. Do you know what my boast is? My boast is in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where my glorying is centered. 
Because that's the ultimate reality to which the signs of the covenant point. That's the great reality. The great omega point of the sacramental signs that God has given legitimately. Not to glory in the signs, but the glory in that to which the signs point. The cross of the Lord Jesus. You see, the Judaizers hid from the cross as well as hid the cross, lest it brought them to persecution. And the only reason they do this, Paul says in verse 12, is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. They didn't want to bear the sufferings that came with union with Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But in contrast, Paul said, May I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, that was the great glory of his soul. We preach Christ, he said, to the Corinthians and him crucified. Now, it may bring us disgrace and degradation. It may incur persecution and sufferings and perhaps even death. But our great boast in this life is in the cross of Christ. Now, we should pause for a moment to ask ourselves this question. Why should it be? Who in their right mind, who in their right mind, you would think, would glory and boast in an instrument of torture and execution? May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what is so baffling. To the mindset of the world. To unbelieving men and women. How could anyone in their right mind glory in something so tragic and so morbid? But the apostle has already declared earlier in this epistle. Why this must needs be the great boast of his being. For he wrote in chapter 3 and verse 13. Christ has redeemed us. From the curse of the law. How? Having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Why does he glory in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because there Jesus made propitiation for sin. Because there the Son of God became the object of God's wrath. That we who were the objects of God's wrath might be redeemed to be sons and daughters of His love. Why does He boast in the cross of Jesus Christ? Because His substitutionary, bloodletting, sin-bearing death of Himself has removed God's curse from believing sinners. He exhausted God's holy wrath against believing sinners and brought us into the glorious liberty of the children of God. With that in mind, do you still wonder why he would glory in the cross, seeing what it has accomplished? But then thirdly and finally, let me underscore very quickly some implications of glorying in the cross. Paul wrote, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now there is a distinct 
implication to be made here. Indeed, a clear inference to be drawn from Paul's language, and it is this. If the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is not your only boast, the sole object of your glory, then the Apostle Paul is declaring in no uncertain terms that there is something very defective about your professed Christianity. If your boast and your glory is not in the cross of Christ, there is something very defective about your professed Christianity. Because the sum and the substance of true Christianity is identified with and terminates on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ in his doing and dying and rising again from the dead. And then Paul says, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And this is another implication of glorying in the cross. It gives clarity to our life. You say, how so? Well, what does Paul say that the cross of Christ has done? It has procured for him a full and free pardon and redemption in Jesus' blood. But in addition to that, because he has become united to Christ through the cross, because he has been joined to him in his death and resurrection, the world and all of its claims and its glamour and its interest and its attractiveness has died to the apostle. And he, in turn, has died to it. Now that's what gives clarity to the apostle's life. That's why he glories in it. So that the cross of Christ is not only the instrument of our salvation in the sense of our forgiveness. It is the instrument of our sanctification which produces in us a clarity of life that will not be mistaken by the world around us. Now notice carefully what he's saying. He's using some very vivid imagery here. He's saying that there is a cross that stands between me on the one side and the world on the other. And when the world looks at me, he says, it looks at me as crossed out. I have died so far as the world is concerned. I do not count so far as the world is concerned. And that's true. When the cross of Jesus has done its work, when a man has died to the world, then the world looks upon him as crucified to it. And by and large, the world will tend to write such a person off and regard them as nothing. And Paul was ready to face that. And worldly Christians, you see, they will do the same. They will realize that they're either glorying in the cross or in the world. And so that's why Paul says to such folk, verse 17, From now on let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks or the stigmata of the Lord Jesus. And the evidence in his body was the evidence that he was a man who had no reservations about standing for the cross, but who had utterly given himself over to being a man of God. He had died to one way of life and resurrected to another. Now you see, that's what gave him 
clarity to his life. And dear people, when the cross of Jesus Christ touches our lives and we're united to him crucified and risen again from the dead, that's what happens. We die to the world and the world dies to us. And Paul says, let no man trouble me. For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Now these marks in the Greek, the stigmata, are not magical marks as some have said that appeared in the hands and feet as some have imagined. Rather, they are the evidences of a man who has been ready to die to one way of life and resurrected to another. This is what it means to become a Christian. Have you died to the world? I ask you that in closing tonight. Have you died to the world? I think there comes a time when we must embrace the reality that there are some things that are utterly non-negotiable. Some things are not negotiable. And this is one of them. Paul had ceased the glory in the things that the world glories. When he came to glory in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you this question as I close. What marks do you bear? What stigmata do you bear? I don't think that Paul's comment regarding the stigmata, the marks, is restricted, restricted to the physical scars that he bore in his body. And I'm sure he had many. But do you bear the marks of one who says, I glory in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For the marks of that can be observed in your daily living, your way of life. That's what it means, the glory in the cross. Let the world deride or pity. I will glory in thy name. Fading is the worldling's pleasure. All his boasted pomp and show. Solid joys and lasting treasure. None but Zion's children know. The sooner we come to that conviction, the better. Let us pray.